Thank you for joining us for the lessons from First Naz Podcast. Okay, I've been out of order as I've been going through the book of First Samuel. A couple of weeks ago, I, I skipped ahead to chapter 8 so I could beat up on the dads on Father's Day because it seemed right. And then I went back last week and I told a long story about how Samuel had been a judge and he had led the people to get the Ark of the Covenant back from the, the Philistines who had stolen it. And then this week, I'm going to jump ahead now to chapter 9. So chapter 8 was all about how the people said they wanted a king. And at the end of chapter 8, Samuel, the last half of chapter 8 basically, is Samuel telling the people, God said you can have a king, but here's the thing. A king is going to take your sons and he's going to put them in his army. A king is going to take the best of your lands and he's going to make it his own personal vineyards. A king is going to take your daughters into his house to be servants. And so you're welcome to have a king, but this is what it's going to be. And the people say at the end of chapter 8, they say, even so, we will have a king. We want a king. It had always been God's plan to be the king of his people. But the people said, we want to be like everybody else. We want to be like the, the countries around us. We want to be like the Philistines who are beaten up on us constantly. And so we want a human king. And so God, this, this wasn't necessarily God's plan. This wasn't what God had intended for his people. But God said, go ahead, have a king. Here's a king. You can have a king. And so that's how chapter 8 ends. It, it, it's with this, this sort of acceptance by God that there, there will be no rest in Israel until there is a human king. God is just going to keep hearing about it until there is a human king. And so, in chapter 9, we, we start with a story that sounds sort of disconnected from everything. It's just a new story all of a sudden, but we realize, and we kind of know where it's going, we, we realize that this is, this is the introduction to the people of Israel getting a king. And over the course of these three chapters— there's actually three stories of this same king becoming king. For some reason, it didn't take right away, right? It doesn't take right away, and so it has to happen again, and then it happens one more time. So we're going to look at all three of these stories and, and see how Saul, the first king, goes from being just a guy to being a king. So I'm going to start with the, the first story in chapter 9. It goes through into chapter 10 a ways as well. And, and this first story is, is sort of the prophetic announcement of Samuel as the king of Israel. And it starts this way. In verses 1 and 2 of chapter 9, there was a wealthy, influential man named Kish in the tribe of Benjamin. He was the son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Becherath, son of Aphi, the, of the tribe of Benjamin. His son Saul was the most handsome man in all of Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. So we, we meet Saul, tall, dark, and handsome, right? Saul. Uh, and rich to boot, right? <laughs> Just as easy to love a rich man. And so here comes Saul to the, the, uh, into the story. First time he's mentioned here uh, in, in chapter 9. And even though he's from a wealthy and influential family, even though he's from a wealthy and influential family, there's one detail in this story that gives us an idea that Saul is also just kind of a guy. And that one detail is that he's from the tri tribe of Benjamin. 
So there are 12 tribes in Israel. They were originally the 12 sons of Jacob at the, at the end of the book of Genesis. Jacob, whose name became Israel, he, he had these 12 sons. Benjamin was the youngest of them. He was the youngest. He was, he was Jake, Jacob's younger brother. No, Joseph's younger brother. And so he was, he was the youngest of all of them. And, and maybe that doesn't seem like a big deal, but it did mean that his tribe was, was not considered the place that leaders are going to come from, right? If there, if there is going to be a leader over all of the tribes of Israel, it's going to come from one of the older brothers. Uh, and, and so when we see that, that Saul is from the tribe of Benjamin, we kind of already know that he's, you know, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. We'll, we'll find out. Uh, he's, he's just kind of a guy. And so with, with this brief introduction, though, we, we begin a story that centers around Saul. And, and it centers around this sort of strange happening. The story that, I mean, why, why would the Bible bother to tell the story of some missing donkeys? But here we go. In verses 3 through 5, we read, One day, Kish's donkeys strayed away. And he told Saul, Take a servant with you and go look for the donkeys. So Saul took one of the servants and traveled through the hill country of Ephraim the land of Shalisha, the, the Shalim area, and the entire land of Benjamin. But they couldn't find the donkeys anywhere. This is a big area, by the way. This is a big area. It's like more than one day's travel to do all of this circuit. Uh, they finally entered the region of Zuth. And Saul said to his servant, let's go home. By now, my father will be more worried about us than about the donkeys. And so, as we, as we start this story, it's interesting to me, there has been no introduction about what this story is, right? There's no, there's no information saying this is the story of Saul and how Saul became the king of Israel. Samuel gives us no, the book of 1 Samuel gives us no introduction in, in that way. It's interesting to note just how far the story develops, how, how far down the road the story gets before there's any mention about what this is all about. Right now, it's just a random story about Samuel, this handsome, the tall, dark, and handsome, and his dad's lost donkeys, right? That's all it is. It's just random. It's just, it's, it's out of nowhere. It's unexpected. Uh, and so here it goes. And, and um, so this, uh, he, he, they, he mentions that by now, by now, the people are probably more worried about us than about the donkeys. It's a, as I mentioned, it's a big, big area they've covered. They're probably they're probably looking longer than makes sense, right? It reminds me of, of the story one time that Uncle Jeremy and I went chasing dogs. His dogs escaped from us at a trailhead, and, and uh, we went chasing them. And we chased, it was longer than made sense in my mind, but I, was, I wasn't gonna let Jeremy go on alone looking for his dogs. And so we kept looking, and sure enough, we found them, and uh, it was, there was great rejoicing, right? Uh, it, it's easy, it's easy when you're chasing after something, when you're looking for something, to look longer than makes sense. And so we get, a, get an idea that these guys, it's, it's longer, it's taken longer than makes sense to continue looking for these donkeys. But, okay, we continue on. In verse, in, in verse 6, the, the servant, he has, this, he has an idea. And it's a good idea, we find out in verse 6. But the servant said, I've just thought of something. There is a man of God who lives in this town. 
he is held in high honor by all the people because everything he says comes true. Let's go find him. Perhaps he can tell us which way to go. But we don't have anything to offer him, replied Saul. Even our food is gone, and, and we don't have anything to give him. Verse 8, well, the servant said, I have one small silver piece. We can at least offer it to the man of God and see what happens. And then verse 9 has this interesting piece in, in parentheses. It says, in those days, if people wanted a message from God, they would say, let's go and ask the seer for prophets used to be called seers. And I would love at this point to give a long explanation. I have, I have a seminary class lecture prepared. I'm just ready. Anytime that you want to hit play and hear about the development of prophecy from, from Genesis through to, to Malachi in the Old Testament, I am ready. I'm just hit the button and I will go. I love this stuff. I love it. All right. Deanne did it. Deanne says, go for it. Uh, the, I, I'm really interested in the development of, of prophecy because at this point, First Samuel tells us about going to see the seer, right? Going to see the seer. So the prophet, the, this prophet that we see, as Samuel, we're going to find out it's Samuel, he, he can tell you information that you want to know. And he takes money for it, right? Like, we can't go empty-handed, the servant says, and Saul says, can't, we gotta, we gotta give him something. It's like fortune telling, right? It's like fortune telling. And then in a little while, Saul is going to join the prophets, and and it looks completely different than fortune telling. It looks way different. And then all of this, I'm getting too far into the lecture. We have time. All of this is way different than what prophecy becomes when we think of the classical prophets of Israel, like, like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. Like those prophets, they talk about big picture stuff and they, they call God's people to account for, for injustice and for straying away from God's will. And these prophets are, okay, Alyssa says it's time to continue on. <laughs> So Samuel, Samuel receives messages, like that's what the seer is, right? He gets tidbits of information. He gets tidbits of information. And we're going to see throughout this chapter the way that Samuel receives tidbits of information. He gets, he gets, he hears whispers from God. And, and all the prophets throughout the history of God's people, they are always, always, always expected to tell the truth when they say, thus saith the Lord. When they hear, when they hear a message from God, and when they speak on behalf of God, it is uh, it is serious. It is serious business. I'm getting back to the lecture. I got to go. So here's what happens in in chapter nine, verse ten through fourteen. We see Saul kind of he relents. He said, "All right." Saul agreed. Let's try it. So they started into the town where the man of God lived. And still Samuel hasn't mentioned, the book hasn't mentioned that the man of God is Samuel. Spoiler alert, it's Samuel. So as they, as they were climbing the hill uh, to the town, they met some young women coming out to draw water. So Saul and his servant asked, is the seer here today? Yes, they replied. Stay right on this road. He is going, uh, he is at the town gates. He has just arrived to take part in a public sacrifice up at the place of worship. 
Hurry and catch him before he goes up there to eat. The guests won't begin eating until he arrives to bless the food. Verse 14, so they entered the, the town, and as they passed through the gates, Samuel was coming out toward them to go up to the place of worship. So, finally, the strange errand, chasing after missing donkeys, looking too long, deciding to go see the seer. It's taken this long, and finally we get Samuel in, uh, Saul coming into the presence of Samuel. Saul, Saul trying to find Samuel. Saul, Saul getting close to the person that he needs to see. It's this weird sort of circular way of getting him there, right? It's this weird, it's a story that began out of nowhere. Story totally random. The son of Kish and his missing donkeys, and it gets us here to Saul and Samuel face to face. And so, we read about Samuel's interaction with the soon-to-be king in verses 15 through 20. Now, the Lord had told Samuel the previous day. Interesting, right? Samuel had received this little tidbit of information. The Lord had told Samuel the previous day, about this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him to be the leader of my people Israel. He will rescue them from the Philistines. For I have, found, I have looked down on my people in mercy and have heard their cry. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said, that's the man I told you about. He will rule my people. Just then, Saul approached Samuel at the gateway and asked, can you please tell me where the seer's house is? Verse 19, I am the seer, Samuel replied. Go up to the place of worship ahead of me. We will eat there together, and in the morning I will tell you what you want to know and send you on your way. And don't worry about those donkeys that were lost three days ago, for they have been found, and I am here to tell you that you and your family are the focus of all Israel's hopes. Wow! Didn't see that one coming when you went to look for the missing donkeys, did you, Saul? This is just out of nowhere, right? He, okay, I'll tell you everything you want to know in the morning. What they want to know is where are the missing donkeys? He, he has told them that the donkeys are okay. I'll tell you everything you want to know in the morning. And, and Samuel is, he, he has heard from God, right? He is prepared to speak for God. He's heard this whispering. He knows, he, he has heard God's voice and he knows that he's about to have to act and he's ready. He's poised. He's, he is just looking for, for the person that God is going to put in his way. And he doesn't know necessarily that God is going to speak to him in the moment. He might just introduce himself to somebody, and somebody might say, hey, I'm from the land of Benjamin. And, and Saul or Samuel would then know that he was supposed to anoint that person. But the Lord speaks specifically in this moment, specifically to Samuel in this moment, to let him know this is the guy. This is the one I was telling you about. This is act. Go. Hit play, Samuel. <laughs> and so Samuel, Samuel is ready. And, and immediately, immediately, Saul has his reservations. We read in verse 21. Saul replied, but I'm only from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe in Israel. And my family is the least important of all the families in that tribe. Why are you 
talking to me like this? And so begins, <laughs> so begins Saul's reluctant approach to the throne of Israel. Uh, over and over again, we're going to see, well, another time, we're going to see how reluctant Saul is to be the king that God has called him to be. And God and Samuel in these stories are relentless. God and Samuel are just consistent. Saul, it's you. Saul, you are the one that is, is called to be the king. Saul, you have to go and, and take this job. But, but when Saul first hears that he, he carries the potential hopes of his people, he, he has all kinds of reasons to say, nope, <laughs> not me. You got the wrong guy. You got the wrong tribe. You got the wrong family. You got the wrong person. It's not me. I'm not the one you're looking for. Okay, so from here, I have to start summarizing. I've been going verse by verse, and, and you're welcome to follow along in your Bible with me. I'm going to continue through, through chapter 9 and into, verse, uh, into chapter 10, and I'm, I just got to tell the story a little bit because we're going to run out of time before dark uh, if, I, if I keep going verse by verse here. So we're, um, from here, Samuel has invited Saul to go to the place of worship to have a meal. And there are all kinds of special guests who have been invited. There's a, there's a big group there that's ready for this special meal. And they, they've been invited, especially for this meal. But uh, Saul comes in, and he is immediately ushered to the most important seat, the seat of honor at this meal. And Samuel goes to the cook, and he says, give that tall guy sitting in the seat of honor, give him the best of the food, okay? He, and, and give him lots, he, he is special. He is an important guest here. And so Saul begins his life kind of as, as an important person. He's, he's always been, you know, the, from the tribe of Benjamin and the smallest, the least, the least important family. And, and here he is seated at the, at the head of the table, the place of honor, given the best food. And he's, he's got to be wondering, me? The, is this really for me? And then the story goes that, that Samuel found a nice place for he and his servant to sleep that night. Must have been a welcome, welcome place to sleep after having searched around for a few days for these darn missing donkeys that ended up going home on their own anyway. And so he is, you know, you have to imagine that he is happy, happy to, to receive the hospitality. And when morning comes, when morning comes, the Saul and his servant, they have the information they need. You know, they're, they're, ready, they're ready to head home. They know that family is starting to worry. The people are, are starting to wonder, what has become of, of Saul? Did he fall in with some, a rough crowd? What happened? Uh, hope he comes home soon. No longer worried about the donkeys that are missing, right? And so... Saul and his servant, they're, they're ready to go home. But remember, Samuel had said, tomorrow, tomorrow I'll tell you everything you need to know. And this has to be strange to Saul, right? He knows everything he needs to know. He knows the donkeys are home safe. He's headed home. And so 
it, chapter 10 begins, and, and as chapter 10 begins, Saul and his servant are walking, walking out of town, and Samuel joins them. Samuel joins, and the three of them are walking out of town. And, and right at the end of, of chapter uh, 9, Samuel tells, tells the servant, go on ahead. I want to talk with Saul. And in, in verse 1 of chapter 10, we read, Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it over Saul's head. He kissed Saul and said, I am doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be the ruler over Israel, his special possession. It's interesting the word king isn't used right here. Just interesting. I don't know if it's here or there. But this is, this is the process of, of declaring a person, anointing a person for a special office. Uh, the Old Testament is full of, of people being anointed for special office. Priests are anointed. Kings are anointed. And it's with, with oil. Usually it would be olive oil with, that has been um, like marinated with, with some herbs, some spices, uh, frankincense or something like that that would give it a scent. And so that oil, you can, you can kind of imagine, he, he took a flask. It's not just like a tiny bit. When we anoint people these days, we'll use, I have this little tiny bottle of anointing oil. I'll put it on the tip of my finger, and I'll make a cross on somebody's forehead, and that's anointing, right? But in these days, it was, it was lots of oil. It would be lots of oil. It would, it would be poured over his head, and then that, that herb or whatever the spice that was with it the scent of that would stick with him for, for a while, right? The whole walk home, he is just living in, in olive oil and whatever the, the herb or, or scent might be that was in that oil. He, he can smell that. It's, and then olive oil on your head, um, it's, you know, it's everywhere. And in, you can imagine it's hard, I mean, you don't want to because it kind of gets gross pretty quick, right? You want to get in the shower right away. But the, he's been anointed. And, and this, it happens so quietly. Samuel doesn't even allow Saul's servant to be present for it. Now, Saul's servant is going to know that it happened, <laughs> You, you can't show up after having olive oil poured over your head without people saying, what happened to you, buddy? Right? And in this moment, Samuel speaks to Saul, and he, and he gives him these three signs. These three signs, three things that are going to happen that day that are going to be a sign to Saul that what Samuel is doing is, is God's will. Samuel is speaking on behalf of God, and it's going to be proven by these three signs. The, the first one is they're going to come across two men on the road. There's going to be these two guys walking down the road, and the guys are going to say to, to Saul and his servant, don't worry about the donkeys. They've been found, but your dad is looking for you. That's the first sign. And then the second sign, they're going to find three men who are walking up the road, and they're going to have some food with them, and they're going to offer Saul and his servant two loaves of bread. And Saul and his servant are supposed to take them. So Samuel tells him, 
take the, the loaves. And then the third sign is the sign that the author is most interested in. The third sign is that he's going to encounter a group of prophets, a group of prophets, and he is going to be changed. He is going to, to prophesy with them. And so as, as Saul leaves the presence of Samuel in, in verse 9 of chapter 10, it says, God gave him a new heart. And, and the, the story says the first two signs happened. That's as much as we get. We don't get, you know, I could make up more details, but again, got to keep moving. And so the, the story goes immediately then to Samuel in, Saul, ah, Saul encountering the group of prophets. And, and this is what it would have probably looked like. A group, of, a group of prophets in these days. So there was the prophet Samuel who, who heard God's voice for specific instances, who heard those whispers about tomorrow you're going to meet a man from the tribe of Benjamin. And, and Samuel had this special ministry, right? He, he could tell you, he could see things, right? He was a seer. But then there's this group of prophets that's traveling around the, the country of Israel. They're, they're traveling around the countryside. And, and this is probably more akin to, I, I think that this might look like in modern day uh, USA, it might look more like a 24-7 prayer movement. You know, it might look like a place where people gather, but this is a moving band. It might look like a group of people who gather to worship and pray and, and to try to hear a special word from the Lord. And, and so this, this group, we get the sense that they were, they were kind of on display. People knew about the groups of prophets that wandered around, and, and they kind of, they were on display. They were out in the open. There was nothing hidden about what they were doing. It, nobody was going to them to get, give them money to hear a word from the Lord either. They, they were out worshiping. And, and they probably were moved by the Holy Spirit in ways that they did hear a word from the Lord. They did hear God speak to them in special ways. But this, this type of prophecy, it was, it was different than what Samuel was doing. And so this group of prophets, they, they're, they're out in the open worshiping, and all of a sudden, Saul's servant doesn't know what happened. He was, Saul was walking right beside him, and now all of a sudden he is with the prophets, and he is worshiping, and he, he is prophesying. He is, he is a part of all of the excitement of the, of the prophets, of this group of prophets. He's right there in the middle of it. And the way the, the uh, author writes about this, it sounds like this group of prophets, it was a special group. These were, these were special people. These were people who had like a special, a special connection with God. And so when, when Saul is just like walking home after not finding his lost donkeys, and he, all of a sudden he's a part of this group of, of prophets, it's remarkable. It, it, people stand up and take note. People say, my goodness, Saul is right there in there with, with all the prophets. Look at him. That's, 
that's unique. That's different. And, and so um, this, this idea that Saul could join them is kind of, kind of spectacular. And then after this nice time of worship with the prophets, Saul and his, his servant, they continue the rest of the way home. And it's really interesting. When he, when he gets home, his uncle asks him, how'd it go? Why were you gone so long? What's up, man? And, and Saul tells his uncle, we went and we saw the prophet. And he, he told us that, that the donkeys were okay. That was good news. And then in verse 16 of, of chapter 10, right at the end, it says, but Saul didn't tell his uncle what Samuel had said about the kingdom. So this is the first of the three stories of Saul becoming king of Israel. Don't worry, they're not all this long. The, this is the first of the three. This is what I would call the prophetic announcement of, of Saul as king. This story is about God whispering. It's, I'm, I'm really intrigued about the way God just, he tells Samuel ahead of time. 24 hours from now, you're going to see. And then Saul walks up and God says, Samuel, that's the one. I'm interested in the way that Samuel chooses to anoint God's anointed king. Not even the servant gets to be a part of it. It is a private ceremony. It, not even the servant knew that when the three guys gave them two loaves of bread, the servant didn't know that that was a sign that God's word was coming true to Samuel. This is, this is private. This is interesting to me, especially because this is a big change for all of God's people, Israel. This is God's way of, of giving in to the wishes of his people, right? It was not God's plan initially for there to be a Saul or any king other than God. And so when, when God says, okay, you can have your king, it, it's not a, he doesn't blow horns. <laughs> there's, no, there's no great earthquake. This is a big change for God's people. And how does it first come? With just a whisper. Just a, just a, a little tug on, on Samuel's heart. Saul's not ready for it. Saul has not been prepared, right? He immediately has all the reasons that it can't be him. But when God makes this big change for his people, he just whispers. And so, the next story of Samuel becoming king starts in chapter 10, verse 17. And it just says later. We don't know how much longer. Um, it, it's probably just a couple of weeks based on, on the end of uh, uh, 
the, the end of the first story. It's probably just a couple of weeks from, from what you can tell. But the, the story begins with Samuel calling all of God's people to the town of Mizpah. To the town of Mizpah. That's the town that he had gone to when they got the Ark of the Covenant back and had sacrificed to God. And so it, this is a common gathering place that Samuel uses for, for God's people. And so he gathers all the people there, and, and he begins by telling them, God's really disappointed in you all, you know. Uh, <laughs> you, you were supposed to have seen God's mighty hand when he brought you out of Egypt, and you were supposed to always want God to be your king, and God is really disappointed that you don't just accept God as your king. And, and so, but because God is gracious and merciful and kind, God is going to give you what you want, and God is going to give you a king. And today we're going to select that king. Today we're going to find out who that king is. And the plan for finding out who the king is is to cast lots, which is kind of like rolling dice. It's the, and, and the Israelites had this phrase. They said, the lot is in the hand of the Lord. So they believed that, the, that by casting lots, they would be able to discern God's will. And so they start with, with all of the tribes of Israel and, and they cast lots to, the, to figure out which of the tribes of Israel is going to provide the king. And of course, the lot falls to the tribe of Benjamin. And then they bring all of the families of, of Benjamin together, and, and they cast lots again. And of course, it falls to, to, Samuel's fam, or to Saul's family. excuse me. And then they cast lots again, and it falls to Saul. And Saul has been selected king. And midway through verse 21, we read about it. It says, uh, and finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen from among them. But when they looked for him, he had disappeared. So they asked the Lord, where is he? And the Lord replied, he's hiding in the baggage. So, so they found him, and they brought him out, and he stood head and shoulders above everyone else. He's always reluctant. He's always reluctant. And then Samuel said to the people, this is the man the Lord has chosen as your king. No one in all Israel is like him. And all the people shouted, long live the king. Saul had an idea of how this was all going to go. <laughs> he had an idea, and, and uh, his, in a lot of ways, his character is admirable at this point, right? He, he is... If, you, if somebody's too willing to be your king, maybe you want to think twice about, about appointing that one your king, especially when you've heard how the king is going to take your, the best of your land and make it his vineyard. Like maybe, maybe a reluctant king is a good thing. Saul does not seem to be, to be interested. He's hiding in the baggage. He's... He's on the cart with the luggage. Look for him there. And so, from here, Samuel explains all of the rights and duties of a king, and he writes them down, and they place the rights and duties of the king before the Lord. And that sort of stands in, in perpetuity as the plan for this human king that is going to lead God's people. And then in verse, verse 26, we, we read sort of the end of the story. It says, When Saul returned to his home in Gebeah, a group of men whose hearts God had touched went with him. And these, are, these are people that are pro-Saul. They're in the pro-Saul camp, so they're excited. God had touched their hearts, 
and they are they're going to follow Saul even home, even when he's just going home to, to do his spring farming work. And so then, uh, verse 27, but there were some scoundrels who complained, how can this man save us? And they scorned him and refused to bring him gifts. But Saul ignored them. You, you understand why there are people who say him, right? The guy that's hiding in the baggage, that's our king. The guy that is so disinterested in the process, he doesn't even look. His family was on the, was on the, on the block, right? They, it was going to be someone, one of his relatives that was going to be our king, and he goes and hides in the baggage? Him, that guy? That he, he can't even be bothered once he's, once he's been selected as the king. He can't even be bothered to come and, and address his people. He's got to be dragged out. You know, we're, we, we, can be, we can be gracious to the people who look at, at Saul and say, him? But this more, more public anointing of Saul... Um, it, it shows us the progression of Saul's, Saul's ascendancy to the throne. We realize that there are people who are immediately willing to listen, immediately willing to accept Saul as the king. You know, that, that, first, that first announcement that had been between just Samuel and, and Saul, nobody really had the option to hear it. And, and so God speaks again here, through the using of the casting of lots, right? God speaks again here, and, and God's will is known. The people, the people understand that this is God's anointed. This is the one that God has chosen for us to be our king. And, and there are people who are just ready, just ready to, to fall behind Saul, even, even Saul who's hiding in the, in the baggage. Everybody yelled, long live the king, but then there are also those who, <laughs> that guy? Him? Really? He's our king? Again, this is God's big change, right? This is the big change that God is willing to, to allow his people, a human king, after God was supposed to be their king. And, and these people say, God, even in changing your mind, you, you messed up, <laughs> You chose the wrong dude. Saul cannot be, cannot be the king. And, and again, this story, it, God, God has spoken. God has spoken, and God has given the people something that was never his plan. It was against his will at the beginning. And, and the people here, everybody now knows. Some people are ready to accept it. Some people are quick to reject it right? And so, on to the last anointing story that takes place in chapter 11 here in the book of 1 Samuel. And in, in chapter 11, uh, it begins with Saul taking some action. This is the first kingly thing that Saul really does in the nation of Israel. We read that one month has, has passed by, and there are, of the 12 tribes of Israel, there are two tribes that live on the east side of the Jordan. 
and, and everybody else is on the west side of the Jordan River. The Jordan River was supposed to be kind of the entryway into the promised land, but there were those two tribes that said, we like it over here. And so they hung out on the east side of the Jordan. And so those two tribes, though, they have some enemies that called the Ammonites. They have the enemies called the Ammonites, and there was a king of the Ammonites whose name was Nahash, and he was, he was brutal. He, he, was, he was trying to pretty much get rid of the Israelites as best he could on that side of the Jordan River. And, and his favorite trick was to gouge out the right eye of his enemies. When, when he had conquered somebody, he gouged out all of the men's right eyes. And so there, at the beginning of, of chapter 11, uh, Nahash is, has surrounded one of those cities on the other side of the Jordan River. The city's called Jabesh uh, Gilead. Gilead, excuse me, Jabesh Gilead. And, and he has sent peace terms into the city. The city's under siege, so, so people can't get out to get what they need. Uh, and he, he sends in terms to the people. He says, look, you can survive. We won't kill you all, but I'm going to gouge out the right eye of every person in the city. And so the people of Jabesh Gilead say, can we have a little time to think about it? And in their time to think about it, they get messengers out to the rest of Israel to try to get some help on their side. And, and one of the messengers gets to Saul. Saul has gone home. He's home. He is plowing his field with a team of oxen. And the messenger comes up to Saul, and he says, Saul, this terrible thing is happening. The, the people in Jabesh-Gilead, they're surrounded by Nahash. He, he, is, he has only given them a little bit of time before, before he is going to come in and conquer the city. He's going he's gonna to kill, and he's going to gouge out eyes, and we need help. And, and Saul, we're told this, that the Lord comes upon him, and he gets really mad. The Spirit of the Lord gets him really mad. He takes the oxen that he is using to plow his field. He slaughters them and he cuts them into pieces. He sends the pieces out to the tribes of Israel. He said, anybody who doesn't join me to come and take care of Nahash will become like these oxen. And believe it or not, that got the people to show up. The people show up. 330,000 Israelites march. Nahash had taken a group of soldiers large enough to, to deal with, with Jabesh Gilead. He had not taken enough to deal with 330 Israelites who don't want to become like Saul's oxen. And so they, they show up. Thank you, Rosalie. I got a good laugh out of Rosalie. I appreciate that. So, so they show up, and Nahash is not, not ready, uh, and, and he runs. The whole army runs. They, they, they run, and, and Saul says, go get him, and they go get him, and, and Nahash will have to think twice about, about fighting against the Israelites from this day on. And, and the men who won alongside Saul they're so amped up after this. They're so amped up. They, Saul, you're so great. This is awesome. You're the man, Saul. We love you, Saul. Let's go find those guys who didn't think you would be good king. Let's go find them now and let's kill them too. 
just reading the text. Uh, interestingly, in verse, verse 13 of chapter 11, we see, but Saul replied, no one will be executed today, for the Lord has rescued Israel. Now, this, this idea that the Lord has rescued Israel goes to the idea that in the ancient Near East, when two countries battled, when, when they went to war, it was their gods going to war. And so the country with the more powerful gods would, would win. And so it was, it, was a, it was a theological problem for Israel to lose in war. So the fact that they had been beat, getting beat up by, by their neighbors was like a theological problem for them to be beat up by their neighbors. Uh, Saul reminds them that this is that war is theology <laughs> in in this this moment. He says the Lord the Lord gave us the victory, and he 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 offers mercy because it's the Lord's victory. He implicitly what the message here is: if I had done it, if it had been me, yeah, we'd go get him, but. It was the Lord's victory. The Lord has given us, given us victory, has rescued us. Then Samuel said to the people, Samuel is, is present, just kind of out of nowhere. Uh, he just shows up. This is very Samuel-like, just kind of goes where the wind blows him. Samuel shows up. He says, come, let us go to Gilgal to renew the kingdom. So they all went to Gilgal. And in a solemn ceremony before the Lord, they made Saul king. Then they offered peace offerings to the Lord, and Saul and all the Israelites were filled with joy. So this is the third and final announcement story of Saul as king over Israel. I call this the, the warrior announcement, right? Where Saul, he does, he, he, he finishes a war, right? He doesn't start it, but he finishes it. And the people, the people had hoped that Saul would be this kind of leader. The people were looking, they were getting beat up by the Philistines on, on the west side of the Jordan River, by the Ammonites on the east side of the Jordan River. They needed a warrior king. They needed somebody who would come in and, and have, raise a standing army. That, I think that was really the hope. And from this point on, it appears as though there's always an army at hand. Sometimes there needs to be like a little bit of, of troop encouragement we need to, you know, draft a few more men. But from this time on, it appears as though there is, there is an army ready to go whenever Saul says, we're going after them. And so this announcement, uh, it, it brings about unity in a new way, right? All the people were joyful. All the people were joyful. We read all the people said, long live the king, when Saul was... was um, selected by lots, right? When, when Saul was elected by, by the casting of lots, every, all the people said, long live the king. We get a sense that that was not an inclusive use of the word all, right? Because immediately then it says, but some of the people said, him. And so here, when it says all the people, I would guess that it was everybody. I would guess that it was even the people who, who Saul had spared. Because <laughs> here is a king who, who has proven his mettle. 
who's proven what he's worth, who's proven he can raise an army and he can lead it. And so, whether out of fear or out of joy, all the people took a big sigh of relief that day and said, there's a king. Here it is. Even, even Saul himself is joyful in the presence of the Lord. Saul, who says, uh, no, it can't be me, I'm from Benjamin, and my family's the least in the tribe of Benjamin. Saul, who hid in the baggage when the lot fell to him to be the king. Here, he is joyful in the presence of the Lord. And um, it's just interesting to me the way that behind the, behind the scenes of these stories, especially of the first two stories, are these whispers of God, right? It's just, it's God whispering. It's God, it's God directing the lot. It's God pointing out his man, whispering to, to Samuel that it's, it's going to be somebody from the tribe of Benjamin and you're going to meet him tomorrow. And, and in the first story, not even Saul believes it. In the second story, some people, but not everybody. Everybody knows it then. And then this last story, it's about, it's about might, right? It's about strength. It's about power and violence. And suddenly everybody is ready to accept it. It's out in the open, and, and it, looks, it looks strong. And, and the, people, the people want to follow. Even, even Saul himself finally, finally kind of falls in line. And I don't, I don't think Saul is in any way you know, bloodthirsty. I don't, he, doesn't, he doesn't take advantage of the, of the mob mentality to get revenge on the people that had, had spoken against him. But Saul is, for some reason, willing to listen when there's enemy at, at the gates, right? When there's an enemy there. Saul is somehow, he, he is ready to be stirred to action when, when it's either do nothing and see, see a lot of people suffer. Uh, when his hand is pressed, right? He, he is pressed into action by, by Nahash. And it makes me think about the type of story that we tell ourselves about God speaking. Uh, we, we who are believers, we, we long to hear God's voice, right? And we believe that God is speaking. God is speaking through his word all the time. God is speaking to us when we approach God in worship and in prayer. God, God is, is, he's wordy. God's got stuff to say to his people who will listen. And the, the stories that we, often, that we often tell end up being stories that, that sound like 
God was telling me back then, and I wasn't, wasn't quite ready to listen. Or, or God was telling me, was probably telling me then, and I just wasn't ready to listen. And then, and then it, it came to where the rubber met the road and I had to decide. Or, or there became this pressing need and I, and I had to listen. The, the stories that we, we often tell are, are stories of, of God's whispers and, and my inability or my lack of desire or, or my waiting just a little bit longer to respond. And unfortunately, often the stories that, that we tell, I know my story is, is I had to decide. I couldn't, I couldn't stop telling my uncle any longer, you know? I couldn't, I couldn't hide it any longer. I had, to, I had to decide. At one point, I had to decide, we're moving our family to, to Ecuador. At, at one point, I had to decide, I'm going to go to seminary to become a pastor. And in spite of the fact that maybe God had been whispering for years before that, it, it took, for some reason, waiting until the moment. And so those are the, that's, you know, that's a story, that's a common story among us. But I think the story that maybe we would prefer to tell, I think the story that would give God so much glory and honor would be the story of, I heard a whisper. It was it was unbelievable. I said to God, me? And I went. I think that's the type of story that, that we would love to be able to tell. That's the type of story that would bring so much, so much glory and honor to God. If we would be attentive, if we'd be like Samuel the day after he had heard, just waiting for God to say, that's the guy. If we'd be ready to jump at a moment's notice. Uh, we're we're going to go to communion really soon, and, and I'm going to give you some moments to just kind of listen and wait and hear. And maybe, maybe it's a day to pounce. Maybe it's a day that God's been whispering and the story you want to tell is when God whispers, I go. So maybe today is a day of action. I, I'd point out that this story, this story shows us how broad God's will is. It was not God's plan for there to be a human king. God said, you know what? Here's Saul. Here's a king. Sometimes we get so focused on, on the tiny details and the tiny choice that we need to make, we forget that maybe God's will is not just a tiny detail. Maybe God gives us two good options and says, you choose. Maybe, maybe God is willing to give us the desires of our hearts. So, Thank you, God, for these brothers and sisters of mine who will faithfully this week 
Seek you. Hear your voice. Do what you say. And be a light for your kingdom in this world. Oh God, we love you and we thank you. Thank you on this day that we celebrate our nation. Thank you for this great place to live that you've given us. We pray that you would bless our country. And Lord, we pray that you would bless your church to be a light in her. <laughs> Thank you, God, for the, the gift you give us of your grace to live in this place and to be your servants. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Happy Fourth of July. You are dismissed.